All right, uh, we're talking about the triumphal entry. If you have a harmony of the Gospels, it's probably helpful. But uh, uh, because especially in this story, each Gospel writer had just a little different set of details to give us. Now, we've talked about this before. Don't ever let it bother you that the accounts don't line up exactly. You have four different people over decades of time who are describing what they remember. And their source material is different. We know that Mark probably interviewed Simon Peter. Luke probably interviewed Paul. Uh, Luke traveled with Paul. Uh, We know that that Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, that Luke was a Gentile physician, that John uh, was uh, an apostle who we've said before wasn't so interested in the what but the why. And so don't, don't get alarmed when there's a little different set of details because they're not, um, that what cannot be reconciled doesn't matter. What can't be reconciled doesn't matter. And so our, our, our story uh, really starts, if we were going to start, we might start in Luke's version of the scripture. I'm going to uh, frame my remarks on Sunday morning around some biblical questions that were asked uh, at each phase of this journey, from Jericho to Bethany from Bethany to the um, Eastern Gate, from the Eastern Gate to the temple. Because that was the procession, right? Sometimes we think that the triumphal entry was only inside the walls of Jerusalem. It started probably in Bethany um, or Bethpage as uh, the... Uh, so we talked before about Bethany. It was a, a village about two miles from Jerusalem. Bethpage was about a mile. Bethpage doesn't exist anymore. And, and it's speculation as to where that is. But the best guess is that it's about a mile uh, from Jerusalem and about a mile from Bethpage, from uh, Bethany. So tell you what, let's start in Luke's version of it. Um, and we'll back up just a little bit. Here's, here's an overview. John viewed the triumphal entry in light of the impact to the disciples. Matthew elevated the crowd responses. He wanted to emphasize the kingship or the messiahship. He was the Jewish guy. Luke focused on Jesus. He was the physician. He focused on the patient. Mark is a storyteller. He's he's the shortest of all the the four. He's the storyteller. So let me just um, just go to the scripture. We'll see what happens. In Matthew, um, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we're going to take this in order. So Jericho is about 17 miles from Jerusalem, or at least the Jericho Road is. It's a windy, 
treacherous passage through the mountains. It ascends in elevation about 3,000 feet. So it would be a, a pretty strenuous walk, probably a good six to eight hour day. So in Jericho, we know that that was same Jericho as was the entry point for the uh, Hebrew children when Moses uh, turned the reins over to Joshua and he led them into the promised land. He led them into the promised land at Jericho. So they crossed the Jordan River from east to west and they landed at Jericho and inhabited the promised land. Same Jericho. Today, Jericho is an Arab town. Uh, we don't go there often. Uh, depends on the political climate, but I have not been to Jericho except once. And there's still a 2,000-year-old sycamore tree that, of course, they say is the one Zacchaeus climbed. So when Jesus was passing through Jericho, there were a number of things that happened. One, he had a conversation with Zacchaeus, and the scripture tells us he ate at his house. That's uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Then he tells a story, Luke does, that has bearing on our Bible study tonight. Because he tells the story or the parable of the ten minas, or the the 10 shekels, whatever your, your Bible calls it. But he, he tells the story of these 10 uh, minas. Uh, a master went away and he left his holdings in charge of three servants. One of them was the most trusted servant. He gave him 10 minas. Then he gave five minas to the next one and one mina to the third one. And when he returned from his trip, the one who had 10 minus said, I invested it and multiplied it. The one who had five minus said, I invested it, I multiplied it. The one who had one minus said, I wrapped it up in a handkerchief and slipped it under the mattress because I didn't want to lose it before you got back. Now, the irony here and the placement of the parable is fascinating. This is bonus coverage. You'll never get this on Sunday morning. <laughs> Welcome to Wednesday night. Jesus, this is the last parable that Luke records before the triumphal entry. And he tells a parable of a harsh master. The harsh master who said to the guy who only had one talent and just buried it, gave the master back. Here, here's what you gave me. Here's, I, I, I protected it for you. Because he didn't invest it, the master said, take it away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Take it away from him. Give it to the one who's willing to invest it. Now, here's the money moment. Everybody ready? Jesus was prophesying not the triumphal entry that he was about to have, but the one that we're still waiting on. That parable is about the second coming of Christ. It's about, I've given you all of the 
grace. I've given you the ministry. I've taught you the parables. I've given you the, the instructions. And now the master's going to go away for a little while. And he, when he returns, and I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm the pastor and I get to do this. The next time I'm not coming on a donkey, but I'm coming on a white horse. I don't know if that's metaphor or not, but the, it's ironic and challenging that this parable that he tells right after he leaves Jericho, while they're walking along the way, he's telling this parable. He knows he's about to go into Jerusalem. He knows uh, what's going to unfold over the course of the week. And he's telling them a parable that they're going to need after he's resurrected and ascended. So he's he's talking about the next coming, not this. Fascinating. So in Luke's version, then in chapter 20, chapter 19, verse 28, and when he had said these things, that's why you have to go back, because when he says these things, you want to know what these things are, right? So you have to go back and see what things did he say? Oh, he just told us a parable. When he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Now. Put a pen in it. Let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Only John tells us that when he got to Bethany, he spent the night before he went to Jerusalem. So you're going to flip back and forth for a minute here because this is where I've got to reconcile the the gospel accounts. Six days before the Passover, Verse 1, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This was the passage I preached on a couple of weeks ago. And so he comes there first, and Mary, uh, they give a dinner for him. Martha served. Lazarus was there. Now, if you look over in Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 21, He doesn't go to Bethany until verse 17 after he had gone to Jerusalem. And it makes it seem in Matthew's account that he went directly from Jericho into the city of Jerusalem. That's possible. Okay. If we take Matthew's timeline, here's the way it goes. He leaves Jericho after having dinner with Zacchaeus, calling him out of the tree. You remember who Zacchaeus was? Zacchaeus the wee little man. Was a wee, wee little man and a wee little man was he. See, do you, do you and I know these songs, Taylor? We do not. <laughs> I actually know that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's the guy. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and that's the one we're talking about. And so he leaves at Jericho. He tells the story. They are walking along this winding Jericho road. As they were leaving Jericho, Luke, uh, uh, Matthew tells us another story that happened. I don't have that many pens. So in Matthew, well, you don't have to. I'll I'll tell you the story best I can. When 
when Jesus left Jericho, according to Matthew 20, verse 29 and following, there are two blind men who are beggars. In Luke's version of this, uh, he's actually named. Uh, Bartimaeus is the blind beggar. And in Luke's version, it takes place a lot earlier in the ministry. So here in Matthew's version, there are two men lying beside the road. Beggars would be by the city limits. Okay, they would be on the main road. They would be by the city limits. That's where, you know, why do the the, the people with signs get into the interstate ramps? Because that's where cars have to stop. And so... Jesus asked a very penetrating question. I'll spend some time with it on Sunday. He asked a blind guy, what do you want from me? That seems like a silly question, doesn't it? You know, roll down your window at the end of the interstate ramp. Guy with a sign, anything helps. What do you want? Anything. Blind guy, what do you want? Sight. <laughs> I want to be able to see and I'll, I'll explore this a little bit Sunday, but here's the preview. I believe that Jesus was asking him, do you really want the responsibility of sight? Lord, forgive me. Do you really want the responsibility of forgiveness? That's the story of the 10 miles. Lord, heal me. Do you really want the responsibility of health? Lord, save me. Do you really want the responsibility of salvation? Do you really want what comes with it, that the Holy Spirit is going to land on you and you will not be able to keep this to yourself because you're the 10 minor guy. You're the one who's investing it. You're taking what he's giving you. You're turning it over. You're putting it in the market. You're putting it in the marketplace. So I believe that that's what he was asking uh, the blind guy. Do you want the responsibility of sight? So now we're in Matthew's version, John says that he goes to Bethany first and spends the night. Matthew says that he goes into the city of Jerusalem. He checks everything out, and then he goes to Bethany for the night. If you take Matthew's timeline, he comes through from Jericho, 17 miles, treacherous road. How do we know that's a treacherous road? Didn't Jesus tell a story about that? Uh, yeah, parable of the Good Samaritan. That's on the Jericho Road. And so they all knew what he was talking about. So on the Jericho Road, 17 miles, disciples are walking. He heals the blind guys as they leave Jericho. He tells the story while they're walking of the 10 minus, and now he reaches Jerusalem. The reason that I am more inclined to believe John's timeline is that I think the processional for the triumphal entry started all the way at the top of the Mount of Olives. It's a two-mile ridge that runs parallel to the Kidron Valley. If, if you really want to geek out about this, look up the topography of the city of Jerusalem and the letter, the Hebrew letter Shen. 
because of the way the valleys run in Jerusalem. There are three of them. And if you can see my hands, if you're looking at a map of Jerusalem, the valleys run along the eastern side. That's the Kidron. Then there's a valley that runs kind of central, skirting the Temple Mount. And there's a valley that runs along the west side. And they come together. If you look at the Hebrew alphabet, the letter Shen, which was in Hebrew thought the handprint of God. The letter Shen is on the topography of Jerusalem. Fascinating thing to look up. Uh, there are overlays that show you how the valleys come together to form that letter. But when we go to Israel, our guides can't wait to tell us about that. The letter Shen is the, the presence, the handprint of God, and it is on the holy city of Jerusalem. All right. Let me ask you a question. Was Jerusalem Jesus's home? Didn't in the Christmas story when they visited Jesus at his house in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, but there was another, there was another story where they, was that the one where they, when the guys came into his house, maybe it was in Mark. That would have the been roof. in that would have been somebody, somebody else's somebody house. Else's but it actually in one of them it says they were at his house. Yeah, he didn't have a house. That was in Capernaum. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. His ministry headquarters was in Capernaum. He kind of based in the house of Simon Peter's mother. It may have been that house. Yeah. Uh, but didn't God say in Jerusalem, I will dwell? So for some reason, Jesus had a real soft spot for the city of Jerusalem. He recognized its importance from a holy, sacred point of view. It was the place where the temple was built uh, to symbolize that's where the presence of God would be. He was dedicated there when he was eight days old. He was brought there when he was 12 years old. He taught there. He attended Passover there. Jerusalem was then and now a sacred place for Jewish people. It will not surprise me if our guide, when we leave Jerusalem, when we go there, it will not surprise me if the guide gives us the traditional Jewish greeting next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. That's at Passover. They always say that next year in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is such a sacred place. All Jews just assume they will return there next year in Jerusalem. And so Jesus, while it was not his home, he said, I have nowhere to lay my head. It was a place he was coming home to. Does that make sense? It was a special place for him. And so when he got to Jerusalem, and let's, let's, let's assume John's timeline. 
Okay, let's assume John's timeline. He goes to Bethany on Saturday. No. He couldn't have gone to Jerusalem to Bethany on Saturday. He had to go to Bethany on Friday because he couldn't um, he couldn't travel on the Sabbath. So he would have gotten to Bethany by Sabbath on Friday night. And then from, Jer- from, Jer- from Jericho. Jericho, yeah. I, this is this is Alan's thinking, okay? Other people are a lot smarter than I have a different timeline. It doesn't make sense to me that Matthew's timeline works because if he would have been, unless it was Sunday night, unless the triumphal entry took place on Sunday night, uh, and, and in Matthew's version of it, it pretty much has to be on Sunday night. Let's just read it. Let's, let's go there just so I'm not talking in circles. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 21 in Matthew. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. If Jesus had gotten up early in the morning to leave Jericho on Sunday, he couldn't travel until uh, after 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Not going to do this road at night. So if he got up early, let's just say that it's 17 miles, uh, that's a six-hour walk. So as as they approached Jerusalem, that was Friday night? Stay with me. Okay. We've got two possibilities here. One is that it was Friday and he got to Bethany before Passover. One is that he left Jericho on Sunday morning after Passover, walked directly to the Mount of Olives. They would have been on the way directly to the Mount of Olives, down the two-mile path on the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem to the temple and then back to Bethany for the night at the, which time Mary anointed his feet. That, that's a possibility. So he traveled from Jericho to Jerusalem on Sunday. Triumphal entry was on Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon or evening. Then he checked out the temple, went back. That's, that's Matthew's plan. But all of this had to happen in between. Ready? He said to the disciples, go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Matthew's the only one that says there's two animals. The donkey and her colt. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you say the Lord needs them. Now, Jesus may have known these people. He may have been famous enough in the area that they knew his name. But he knew and they knew that if he said they needed them, he would have them. The, the colt had never been ridden. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Um, this prophet is um, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 
And it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9, 9, written 520 years before the triumphal entry. Jesus knew the scripture. He knew that what he was coming to Jerusalem to do was to be a messianic king, not a, a Jewish king. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. This may be a blonde moment, but how can it be on a donkey and a, and a colt? Well, he what, what Zechariah did was to qualify. Okay. He's on a donkey. The colt will grow into a donkey. Okay, but so, here they're two different animals. Okay? Right, but he says on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Okay. So the mother donkey is brought along with him. If I was crude, I would use the same word that they use in the King James Version. <laughs> but I won't. I'll call it a donkey. And uh, so the... Disciples do what he asked them to do. Verse six, they brought the donkey and the colt, made their cloaks into a saddle. He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. This is the road that winds down from the top of the Mount of Olives to the Kidron Valley. Uh, if we have time when we go there and energy, we'll walk it. Otherwise, we'll ride the bus. But this is about a two-mile walk. It goes past a couple of chapels that are uh, dedicated to this. The Chapel of Dominus Flavus, the, uh, the chapel that's to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is all on this pathway. You, you get to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. And right across the valley is the eastern gate to the city of Jerusalem. So the triumphal entry is this road that goes down the Mount of Olives. People are lining the roads. They've heard about the miracle he did in Bethany, that he healed uh, uh, Lazarus, raised him from the dead. Uh, and 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 they they think he is their conquering king. Now I've said this every time I've preached this, and I'll say it again Sunday. The reason the people turned on him so quickly was they expected a different kind of king. He fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah so that we would know, and so that they would know if they were paying attention that he is not the king who's going to kick the Romans out of Israel, uh, return the Jewish nation to their prominence and their prosperity. You remember uh, uh, Caiaphas uh, said it's better for one man to die than that the whole nation dies. They lived in constant fear that the Romans would snuff out the whole nation. And in 70 AD, they just about did. So they're coming into the city uh, from the Mount of Olives. And if we, if we take Matthew's timeline, this is taking place on a Sunday. So they had to have time to travel from Jericho 
to the Mount of Olives. The top of the Mount of Olives, he sends two disciples to get a donkey and a colt. He gets on the back of the colt and rides down the two miles towards the city. So if we're in Matthew's timeline, all of this takes place on a Sunday, and it's Sunday fairly late in the afternoon, if not in the evening, by the time he gets to Jerusalem. Now, the days are long. You know, it's very possible that this is the scenario. If we take John's scenario, he went directly to Bethany, spent the night, had the anointing, stayed over for the Sabbath, and then Sunday morning got up and went into the city of Jerusalem. And then John tells us he went directly to the temple to chase out the money changers. All right. He didn't, he didn't go to Mount Olives then and John's. Yes. He went, went there to stay. The Bethany is at the top of the Mount of Olives. Oh, so he would have stayed, stayed at the top of the Mount of Olives overnight. And then on Sunday morning, the triumphal entry. I, I don't have problems with either timeline. Uh, just because it's Wednesday night and not Sunday morning, I can tell you guys that I, I believe that either timeline is feasible. But what we know happened is that he sent two disciples, whether it was Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, he sent two disciples to get the donkey and he rode the donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Springtime, the year is 30 AD, uh, headed into the city. Now, remember, this is Passover week. So the city is packed with pilgrims. It is absolutely jammed. And so, you know, you know how it is on holiday. You, you hear something's going on. You got a fear of missing out. Hey, there's a parade going on in Mount of Olives. Everybody run there. So everybody goes to the Mount of Olives. They have this parade. Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives. They spread their cloaks on the ground. The children wave branches. John tells us they're palm branches. Nobody else tells us what they are. Just as likely they're olive branches, but we'll go with it. Olive Sunday doesn't sound as good. So... Palm Sunday into the city of Jerusalem. He winds down a path, and now he is at the Eastern Gate. Now, quick note. The old city of Jerusalem is surrounded by a wall. It was then, it is now. It has eight gates in it. The northernmost gate is called Herod's Gate. Moving clockwise around the city, the Damascus Gate, the New Gate, the Jaffa Gate, the Zion Gate, the Dumb Gate, the Eastern Gate, and the Lion's Gate. So all the way around the city. The Lion's Gate is near the Antonio Fortress. And so... On a clock, the Lion's Gate and the Herod's Gate would be side by side, but going all the way around the city, the Eastern Gate would be directly opposite the Mount of Olives. Now, I told you before, the Eastern Gate is the one that uh, 
um, Suleiman, the, the Muslim uh, Imam, Sheik, uh, Allah, uh, Ayatollah, whatever you want to call him, he declared that that gate needed to be shut up and um, filled it up with concrete. And the gate has been filled with cement for the last 500 years because both the Muslims and the Christians believe that Jesus will return through that gate. And of course, concrete can stop him. <laughs> so the Eastern gate directly opposite the Mount of Olives, directly opposite the Kidron Valley, uh, Eastern side of the city. And he will enter uh, that way. All right. Any questions so far? Because yeah, now you guys at home should be able to hear everybody that's here. And uh, so our questions might not have to be repeated. If you can't hear it, be sure you let me know. Uh, my Jerusalem says all different gates. Well, they have lots of different names. Oh. Okay. The, the, the gates in the city, just the eastern okay. gate is also called the Golden Gate. It's also okay. called the Beautiful Gate. That they call the Golden Gate. Then they're below and beautiful. Yeah, beautiful gate. Okay. Yeah. And there's a little bit of confusion because there was also a beautiful gate or a golden gate that was uh, uh, into the temple compound. So up on top of the temple mount, there was also a gate into the Herod temple complex that was called the golden gate uh, as well. But the eastern gates, the one that's filled with concrete, it's a <coughs> gate in the city wall and it leads out to the Mount of Olives. <coughs> Any other? This one says Golden Gate. It's the one he came in. Then going in the temple, it says Gate Beautiful. Yeah. And oddly enough, the, uh, the, the, the little village of Bethany that's so prominent in the Bible, uh, the Muslims have renamed the city. It's an Arab city now. And nobody there would even know it by the Bethany name. Nobody, if you ask a, a resident of what we call Bethany, they would not even know what you're talking about. Now, if you ask them where Lazarus's tomb is, they'll collect a few shekels and show you. But uh, the, the, the naming and renaming, you know, this is 2,000 years ago. All right. Any questions at home? I am just such a good teacher, <laughs> or I have just confused everybody. Yeah, Nelson? No, I was just trying to think of a question and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and failed. All right. Um, so let's read in Matthew's version. Let's keep reading. So the disciples did what Jesus told them to do. Verse six, they brought the donkey, the colt, put them on their cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees. That's why I think they're olive trees, because it's the Mount of Olives. They followed him shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I'm not going to spend any time with this, but this is classic 
Let's combine all the Jew, all the religious traditions till we find one we like. Hosanna to the king. Save us. Save us from the Romans. Save us from poverty. Save us from drought. Save us from premature hair loss. Save us from, doesn't say save us from our sin. Save us from ourselves. Save us. So it says that they said, Hosanna in the highest. Okay, back over to Luke. Luke 19. Same story, Luke 19, beginning in verse 28, um, verse 37, as he was drawing near all the way already, on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples begin to rejoice and praise. So he's on the road, on the path from the Mount of Olives down to the Kidron, down to the Eastern Gate. In a loud voice saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I love, love, love the next five verses. And some of the Pharisees said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You're going to stir up the Romans. You're all this talk about a king. Stop this madness. But they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Glory in the highest. And one of my favorite verses in scripture. How many times do I say that? <laughs> Jesus said, if they don't praise, the rocks will. Wow. If that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. So then, verse 41. There's this pause. He's, he sees the eastern gate. Across the Kidron. And the Kidron is not a valley. He's at the base of the valley. He's come down the mountain. He, the, he'll go into the city at that level. So it's, 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 he may go up a ramp and into the, the city gates, but he's, he, he's, <coughs> he is about to enter the city and he stops and he weeps. Would that you, Jerusalem, even you had known on this days the things that actually make for peace. If you had any idea what has to happen for peace, if you had any idea, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, but you don't get it. John is going to tell us in a minute, the disciples didn't get it. The crowds didn't get it. Jesus is going I'm making sure the prophecies line up. We just acted out Zechariah 9. But you still don't get it. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you. Where your enemies will set up a barricade around you. Surround you. Hem you in on every side. Tear you down to the ground. And your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You can write in your Bible 70 AD because that's exactly what the Romans did. 
when we go to the Temple Mount, we will pass all of those stones that I showed you in a picture a couple of weeks ago that were thrown off of the Temple Mount by the Romans and have been there since 70 AD. He said not one stone will be uh, left on top of one another. The Romans tore it to bits. They set it on fire. They tore the stones apart to get at the gold that had melted and, and flowed between the cracks. Not one stone will be left. Back to Matthew. Back to Matthew. Verse 10. When he entered the city, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? So the people on the road, they called him king. Hosanna to the Lord, the, the king of kings. Hosanna in the highest. But now he's in the city and the, the noise is going on. It's like when there's a bunch of ambulances, all of us go, does anybody know what happened? We're not invested in it. We don't know what happened, but we, we love a good crowd, right? And so the, the crowds, what, what is this? What's going on? Who is this? Then the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's go over to John. I, I was trying to think about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in the other one. You know, who are those guys? But who is this guy? <laughs> this guy. Who are those guys? Well, it wasn't the first time, right? Stood before Pilate. What is truth? Who are you? Stood before Herod. Do a miracle for me. Stood before Caiaphas. Are you the king of the Jews? The search for Jesus's identity is ongoing, and yet it's hidden in plain sight. It, it strikes me that for myself, I know there's so many things I go into expecting things to look this way. And when they don't look this way, I get angry and you lied to me. And that's what's really going on with those people. They had an idea about what it would look like. And when it didn't fit that, they got mad. And it didn't fit their agenda, basically. You know, it, it happens with politicians and pastors and car salesmen. If, if you don't meet my expectations, now I'll turn on you in a heartbeat. And, and this is what happened over the course of the next five days. I was struck with verse 32 of uh, Luke 19, <clears throat> which said, if you, even you, had known on this day that what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, my mind went back to the angels when Jesus came to earth, when he was born, and the angels said he came to bring peace. Well, we read the story of Jesus, and to the, the average person's eye, he didn't bring any peace. But <laughs> the peace is with God. And that's what Jesus is getting at. That it, wasn't, it isn't peace like in peace and war. It's peace with God. Right, reconciliation, redemption. He has, he has brought God and man together. Uh, stunning, absolutely stunning. 
and you get a little bit ahead of me. So stay tuned, Bob. Okay. <laughs> Luke what? Luke 1942. Luke 1942. So back over to John. John chapter 12. Uh, John tells us that he stopped in Bethany first. Then he started into the, the parade, the tri triumphal entry. Like I said, John says they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus found a young donkey. He, John doesn't feel it necessary to give us the detail about sending the disciples to find it. He just says, oh, he, he got the donkey. All right. He doesn't care the details. He cares why. And he tells us. Jesus found a young donkey. He kind of quotes Zechariah. Fear not, not our Zion. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Another Easter egg from John. He, he wrote this 60 years after this happened. So John is the latest of the Gospels written. And he goes back not only to the events of the day, but he connects the dots as to the why. Typical John. Why? Disciples didn't get it. The crowds didn't get it. But after he was resurrected, after he ascended to heaven, after Peter and John lived out their life as teachers, persecuted, imprisoned, legend has it John was boiled in oil, exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he began the revelation. I think he died in Ephesus. I think that's probably where he wrote the Gospel of John. And so he's looking back going, uh, when Jesus was glorified, they got it. They remembered. He could have said, we remember. He was one of them. That these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now Caiaphas's comments make sense. Better that one man die than that we upset the whole city, upset our position, upset the Romans, upset. Let's just maintain the status quo. But you remember what I said last Sunday? We worship a Jesus who will not let you stay status quo. He's going to mess you up. <laughs> He's... He's not going to let you be what you thought you were going to be. Emily, you said he, he's not going to let your conceptions of what he's supposed to be stand. You can get angry all you want to. But he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is 
the King of glory. He is Hosanna. He is your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I have five minutes left. One on. <laughs> Eight things we learn from the donkey. One, Christ is claiming his rightful place as the prophesied Messiah. Two, Jesus rode on a donkey to symbolize peace. Anybody remember any of the movies that have depicted the triumphal entry? I looked up a few on YouTube this week. Uh, the Passion of the Christ, the, um, the Jesus movie. A donkey would not have been very big. We're not talking a mule. We're talking a little donkey. His feet were practically dragging the ground. The, the traditional way that a conquering king would enter a city is on top of the tallest horse they could find. And he symbolized peace, not war. Three, Christ's journey on a donkey made us remember the foreshadowing of a father who was called to sacrifice his only son. Isaac rode a donkey to be slain by his father, Abraham. And before Abraham was allowed to kill him, God provided a sacrifice. And those who were paying attention might have thought of that story. Four. Jesus's triumphal entry on a donkey symbolized God's blessing to his people. Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than white. His tight teeth will be whiter than milk. Judah is born of the tribe of Judah, eternally enthroned. Jacob's prophecy describes a king who washes with wine. And blood and wine are often interchanged in metaphor in the New Testament. His entry symbolizes God's blessing. Number five, Jesus's entry on the donkey teaches us that after all of the sacrifices offered for sin, we can enter the rest of faith because of his final sacrifice. Hebrews 10, verse 12. First Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So his triumphal entry, his um, entry on the donkey reminded them of this, the sacrifices that had been offered for the sin. In Exodus 23, 12, scripture says, six days do your work, on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you can be refreshed. It was a sign of refreshment and forgiveness. Number six. 
In the Old Testament, emissaries sent donkeys overloaded with gifts to appease the wrath of an enemy. You remember that Jacob sent Esau presents on a donkey. Abigail, uh, the wife of the evil wine own, uh, vineyard owner Nabal, he, she sent uh, gifts to King David on a donkey to appease his wrath and keep him from slaying, uh, the, destroying the city. So anybody who was paying attention might have seen his ride on a donkey as a foreshadowing that God's wrath would be appeased through the sacrifice, through the gift that came on the donkey. Number seven, God used the donkey occasionally to deliver his message of judgment. Do you remember that Balaam had Balaam, Balaam with the donkey, the talking donkey. had a talking donkey? Do you remember what Samson did with the jawbone of an ass? Killed 500. Yep. The joke there is that preachers slay the word of God every Sunday with the same weapon. <laughs> Let you guys figure out that one. All right. Number eight. Last one. Jesus demonstrated that he was the burden bearer who came to save us. He rode on a beast of burden. You remember that a donkey carried his mother into Bethlehem and a donkey carried him into Jerusalem in humility. He was born in humility. He embraced the poor. He embraced the weak. He acted out the parable of the Good Samaritan, which says that the Good Samaritan took the bloodied uh, uh, body of the Samaritan, of the, the man on the journey, placed him on his own beast and took him to a place where he could get help. Triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, rich with meaning, but so much that we just don't have time to explore on Sunday morning. So thank you for being with me on uh, Wednesday night. Any questions as we wrap it up? All right. Love you guys, and I'll see you on Sunday morning.